I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The uh, reading today is Acts seventeen twenty four through 31. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And I invite you to keep your Bibles open. Hopefully you brought your Bible, since we don't have any Bibles in the pews right now. Um, I'm old-fashioned. I like a real Bible. But if you use your cell phone, that's okay. I won't judge you. No, Bible's a Bible. But we're going to be going through this, so keep your finger on the text. We want to hear what God says. Acts 17, 24 to 31. So the famed theologian, A.W. Tozer, you know, uh, he's written a lot of things. And if you come across anything that A.W. Tozer has written, you should read it. Um, he's really good. And he said one time, what, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll say that again. Quote from A.W. Tozer. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, our theology matters. Our theology matters. Theology means the study of God. You know, theos meaning God and ology, the study of. So the study of God. Our theology really matters and it determines how we relate to God and it determines how we treat others and how we see church and even what our eternity is going to look like and our beliefs really matter and that's why we're preaching through the Apostles Creed. We're plowing through the Apostles Creed this fall and I have three goals for this series. First of all, number one, I want to help us clarify our beliefs. You know, every person on earth has beliefs, you know, about God, about Jesus, about sin, about salvation, but not everybody knows what they believe. So whether you're a Christian or not, do you know what you believe? 
Do you know why you believe it? Secondly, I want to challenge some of our beliefs. I mean, it's easy to treat Christianity kind of like a Chinese buffet. You know, I like God being loving, but I don't like hell. I like Jesus' miracles, but I don't like the virgin birth. Research by Barna in 2015 revealed that only 17% of Christians held what they called a biblical worldview. So there's a good chance that you believe some stuff that's unbiblical. Number three, I want to check our definition of what it means to be Christian. I mean, the beliefs that we're going to talk about in the Apostles' Creed have defined, quote, Christian for more than 1,500 years. They are the basics. They're the bare minimum. They're the non-negotiable. So if you don't agree with some of these, you might not actually be a Christian. You might think you are, but your beliefs say otherwise. So the Apostles' Creed is one of the church's oldest statements of belief. I mean, creeds were really, 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 really important the first 500 years of the church, and they helped kind of summarize the Bible and uh, defining and clarifying Christian belief. And the Apostles' Creed was the very first formal creed. Some say it dates back as early as 150 A.D., and it's called the Apostles' Creed. Not because the apostles wrote it. I mean, they were all dead by this time. But because it accurately represents what apostles taught and wrote in the Bible, in the scriptures. And so the early church, they used this creed in a lot of different ways. They used it as kind of a teaching tool, kind of like a catechism or a Sunday school curriculum. They used it as kind of a way to identify heresies and false prophets and false teachers. And they used it as the first baptism test. And speaking of baptism, I'll say it again, October 18th, if you want to be baptized as a believer, and I think you should, uh, we're going to have baptisms on the 18th. All three churches that meet here, Submerge, Calvary United Methodist, and Calvary African. Anyway, today, I didn't quite finish what I was talking about yesterday. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We're going to talk about that clause again. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I think here are three big characteristics of God. Did you catch them? You know, he is Father. He is Almighty. He is Creator. So to summarize, God is is measurably powerful, but he's intimately personal. He's immeasurably powerful, but he's intimately personal. Personal. God is almighty and creator of everything, but he's also father. And the Bible says he's the father of all compassion. God is immensely powerful and intimately personal. So the passage right here in Acts 17, the passage uh, that Lori just read, I think it perfectly captures these themes of God as Father, God as Almighty, God as Creator. It's a speech that Paul gave to some very important people in Athens, and uh, he was on his second big missionary journey through what we would call Syria or Turkey or Greece, and he stopped in Athens, and he spent time in the Jewish synagogue, and he spent time in the Greek marketplace, and then he was invited to a meeting at the Areopagus, and where they held courts, and they held like city council meetings, and there he directly challenged their religious beliefs with some bold statements, really, about the nature of God. 
And so I, I hope you have your Bible open because we're going to go through uh, these verses one by one. And my professor at seminary always said, keep your finger on the text. And that's what we're going to do. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Verse 26, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So, The Apostle Paul begins with this strong emphasis on God as creator, God as almighty, and he makes five big statements describing God's almightiness. Are you ready? Number one, he says, God made the world and everything in it. Number two, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, he's the ruler, he's the boss, he's in charge. Number three, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Number four, he made all the nations. Number five, he marked out time and land boundaries. Think about that for a second. I mean, God marked, he marked out all the dates and the land for all nations for all time. I mean, the Mesopotamians, they start here and they end here. And the England, they start, it starts here and ends here. And America starts here and, and, ends, and ends here. But why would God do all this? Well, Paul answers that question, verse 27. Look at verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Let's pause here for a second. You just let that sink in a little bit. God did all of that. He did all of that so you and I would look for him, so we'd reach out for him, so that we would find him. And then he says the most amazing statement, he is not far from any one of us. Some of you needed to hear that this morning. He is not far from any one of us. Paul's talking to pagans here. In spite of your pain, in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your sin, in spite of your hard work or no work, in spite of your success, in spite of your failure, none of that changes the fact that God is not far from you. Remember, God is immensely powerful, but he's intimately personal. He is not far from any one of us. And then he continues with two examples of how intimately personal God is to us. In verse 28, it says, In him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so he quotes two Greek philosophers here, which uh, just happen to also match biblical teaching. First, everything about us is found in God. In him we live and we move and we have our being. And then second, we are his offspring, his children. Remember, God is intimately personal, right? Right? And then he concludes with his application. He concludes with his, so what? You know, so what, Dave? So what? Well, he starts with the word therefore. Like I always say, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you've got to figure out what it's there for, right? And here it's to help people transition from theology 
to daily living. It's just like what Paul and Stephanie were just talking about. Yeah, we want to know Christ, absolutely, but we want to make him known from theology, the study of God, to actually doing something, daily living. And so look at verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's what the return is all about. Next Saturday, September 26th, 8 to 8. It's about a national and global day of prayer and repentance. It's about returning. It's about returning to God. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, The prophet says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people, just some people? No, all people, just the Democrats, just the Republicans, just the independents. He commands all people everywhere to repent. There's that word, repent. You turn away from your worthless idols to the living God. We turn away from our sin. We need to repent. We need to repent of our bad theology. (laughs) We need to repent for not believing that God is immensely powerful. We need to repent for not believing that God is intimately personal. We need to repent for not believing that God is our Father. We need to repent for not believing that God is almighty. We need to repent for not believing that God is our creator. Why do we need to repent? Well, Paul answers it. Verse 31, for he has set a day. He set a day when he will judge the world with justice By the man he has appointed, he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In case you didn't catch it, that's Jesus. And we're going to talk about Jesus in a couple weeks. You know, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And verse 31 says, he set a day. He has set a day when he will judge the world. Jesus will judge the world. 2 Corinthians 2.10, for we must all stand or appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Malachi 4.1, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace and all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. Joel 2.11 talks about the great and terrible day of the Lord. Great for us, terrible for those who do not believe. Who can endure it? Jesus talks about this day. In Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The goats to eternal punishment, the sheep, the righteous to eternal life. That's what it says. The same word is there, eternal. Jonathan Kahn is kind of one of the ones behind the return, and he's a Messianic Jew, which means he's Jewish, and he believes that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. 
And he wrote a book called The Harbinger way back in 2012. I think we had a little study group here um, that we went through, um, kind of like a video series of Jonathan Kahn. But he recently wrote The Harbinger 2. It's kind of like Rocky movies, you know, Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3. Well, this is The Harbinger 2. And here's an excerpt from that book, and I quote, What nation is it that stands in danger of judgment? The nation that wars against the will of God. And what nation more specifically stands in such danger and is more accountable, one that has especially known the will of God, the ways of God and the blessings of God, but turned away and now wars against them? I've been thinking about this, you know, just me in my short little lifetime of 65 years, it's just like a blip on the screen, you know, it's like poof, it's almost over. (laughs) But I've noticed how things have changed. I mean, even since I was a little guy, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Bible, creation teaching, prayer out of our schools, I mean, we've legalized the murder of over 60 million babies in our country. We've changed how we look at morality in a lot of different ways, you know, like what's normal. And we have changed the definition, really, of the word marriage in our country. We've got drag queens reading books to our children in libraries and even in some Methodist churches. We are calling good evil. We are calling evil good. And I just cry out, Lord, what is happening? We are lying. We are stealing We're rioting, we're murdering immoralities, blaspheming God's name, drunkenness, drug addiction, hatred of fellow citizens, rebellion. Jesus, we need you. Why would we think that God will not judge this nation? It's time we examine our lives. It's time we repent. And it starts with the church, not all those people over there, not all those pagan people. It starts with us, the church, 1 Peter 4, 17. It's time for judgment to begin with the family of God, 2 Corinthians 7, 14. You know, it's talking about Israel, but I think it can be related to the church. You know, if my people, not, if, not all those bad people, if my people who are called by my name, will just humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, and pray. Then I'm going to hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Wow. So anyway, is Paul... Commanding us to repent, maybe of our bad theology. Well, how do we know we got bad theology? Well, I think it comes out in a couple ways, you know, the obvious, you know, our beliefs, and then the subtle ways, our daily life. So let's go back to that clause. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Remember the three characteristics of God. Uh, He is Father, He is Almighty, He is Creator. I mean, what would it look like to have bad theology or heresy in these three critical beliefs? And first of all, do you believe that God is Father? You might push against this idea and kind of favor uh, gender-inclusive titles for God. You know, we say calling God Father just reinforces patriarchy in the church and in the home, or you didn't like your father, so you can't imagine God being like Him. Now, God may be above gender, But it doesn't change the fact that Scripture, even Jesus, 
describes God in the relational term as Father. And we can't just change that because we want to or because sexist men have abused that term. Now, that's an obvious example, but what about some things that are more subtle? For example, do you see God close or do you see God far away? Is he involved in your life or is he detached? If God is distant or detached from you, you might not think of him as father because scripture consistently describes God as intimate. Remember, he's not far from any of us. In him we live, we move, we have our being. You know, we are his offspring. Do you believe God is father? He's the father of all compassion. You know, he loves you. How about the next one? Do you believe God is almighty? I mean, this one seems easy enough. I mean, you're not going to find many here at Calvary who believe in kind of a limited power God, you know, in a, in a small God with small power. I believe most, if not all, people here will say that they believe that God is almighty. But it's one thing to believe it, you know, it's one thing to have theology, it's another thing to, to do that Paul Fleming was encouraging us to do. So do you live like you believe that God is almighty? Do you live that way? Do I live that way? Do you worry a lot? How's your anxiety level? It probably means you don't fully trust God because you don't really believe he's almighty. He's all-powerful. I mean, how do you react when things go bad? I mean, do you get really controlling? Do you get angry? Do you get judgmental? I mean, all of that emanates from one belief. God isn't powerful enough to handle my problems. God isn't enough for me. Jesus isn't enough for me. The Holy Spirit is not enough for me. And so I have to take matters into my own hands. Is that you? Is that me? I mean, when you need help or advice, where do you go? I mean, do you ask all your friends? Do you post it on Facebook? I mean, do you go to Google for answers? I mean, if you go to Siri before you go to God, you might not see him as almighty. Lastly, do you believe that God is creator? I mean, this one might seem kind of obvious, but do you believe in the God that made everything? And like I said, my brother Gary is going to be here next week, and he's going to focus in on this maker of heaven and earth, and he's going to focus in on Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1. And I think the Bible is very clear about the origin and the uniqueness and the elevated place of humans over everything else in nature. So do you believe that God is creator? I think maker of heaven and earth means believing that God created, you know, humans and he created everything else. And that's kind of, you know, an obvious thing. But what about a more subtle example? Like, how do you view ownership of your own body? How do you view ownership of your own stuff, your own furniture, <laughs> you know, your own, uh, or this world? You know, how do you view that ownership? A common rallying cry for the cho- cho- uh, pro-choice movement is, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. Theologically, this could not be more wrong. It's not your body. You didn't create it. You, didn't, you don't keep it alive. It's God's body, whether it's your health or your drinking or your eating, it's God's body, it's not yours. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And I think one of the consequences of really believing in God or believing God as creator is this sense of accountability to God. Accountability to God. I mean, if God created you and me, we got to answer to him for the way we live our life. You know, we aren't masters of our own destiny. We're not free to do what we feel is best. We belong to God. And so where do you need to repent? Where do I need to repent? Where's God tugging at your heart today? What part of God are you missing out on? God is a loving Father, near to you, intimately personal to you. God is Almighty Lord, immensely powerful. God is Creator, deserving of our worship. You know, the one to whom you are accountable. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. And you know, when, when Paul was pre- pre- preaching to these pagans that Jesus loves and Jesus died for, they had three responses at the end. And we didn't read it, but in verse 32 it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. And a lot of people do that with the gospel. They just sneer. But some said, we want to hear you again on this subject. It's like, oh, we're not saying no, we're not saying yes, but we want to hear you again. We want to think about it. And then it says, a few men became followers. So that's kind of like the basic reactions to the gospel. You know, it's like some sneer, some say, I'm just still thinking about it, and some become followers, and that can happen today. You could become a follower of Jesus Christ today. You could commit your life to Jesus Christ today. Do you feel like you're right with God today? You know, if you don't, you could, you could come to him right now, and you could just say something like, you know, God, I have broken your law. You know, I have sinned. You know, you haven't been first in my life. I don't love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. I don't. But God, I'm so grateful for your grace that you give me what I don't deserve, that you sent Jesus to die for me. And I believe he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And I just say, please, come into my life. You know, I want to turn from my worthless idols, and I want to cling to you. You are my only hope. The words to an old hymn, It goes, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. And that's the gospel. That's all we need is Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that I know somebody is here that needs you today that doesn't know you. They're not right with you. And I pray, Lord, that they would just open up their hands and their heart to you right now and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love and leadership in my my life. I believe that you did something for me that I can't do. You lived the life I can't live, and you died the death that I cannot die. And I just say, come into my life, Lord, and, and change me from the inside out. I thank you, Jesus, that you remain the same. You are the same as what we read in the Bible. You're the sea walker. You're the blind man healer. You're the leper cleansing man from Galilee. 
You're the soul saver. You're the one who set me free. And so, God, I, I pray that there would be someone here that just says yes to you in their heart. Just say yes to Jesus. Jesus, you're all I need. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're our God of ages past. You're our hope for years to come. <laughs> and we want to declare that right now. Amen. And may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. And may the Lord make his face just shine upon you, be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and just give you his peace. Amen.